We are returning to Hebrews chapter 6 in our study here today, and we're glad that you joined us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. I'm reading again the first eight verses. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, with instruction about ablutions or washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then commit apostasy, since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold him up to contempt. In Friday's program, we pointed out that in verses 1 and 2, there are six things that the writer mentions about which he does not again wish to lay a foundation. It's repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instruction about washings or baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Many people read this and they look at these things as being things associated with Christianity. But I take a different view. These are things associated more with Judaism than Christianity. For example, the repentance which he mentioned is something that John the Baptist preached to Israel. He called them to repentance, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then we have Faith toward God, that's certainly an Old Testament doctrine as well as a new. We first learn about faith in Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham believed God and his faith was counted to him for righteousness. We have instruction about baptisms, it says in the Greek. And these are washings in the Old Testament. The priests had to wash. There was a cleansing, a ceremonial cleansing before they performed their service. There was the laying on of hands. The priest did that, symbolically transferring the sins of the people onto the animal which was being sacrificed. This laying on of hands was the case whether the priest sinned or whether the people sinned. Listen to Leviticus chapter 4, verse 3. If the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people... Then let him offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. And he shall bring the bull to the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the bull and slay the bull before the Lord. In the case of the people, it was similar. Verse 13 of the same chapter says, Now if the whole congregation of Israel commits error and the matter escapes the notice of the assembly, and they commit any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and they become guilty, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a bull of the herd for a sin offering, and bring it before the tent of meeting. Then the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be slain before the Lord." The laying on of hands was a well-known ritual in the Old Testament. 
Now, next in the list in Hebrews chapter 6 is the resurrection of the dead. I don't think anyone, not anyone, would claim that that is strictly a New Testament doctrine. The Jews believed in the resurrection of the dead, and the Old Testament claimed that there was a resurrection of the dead. And, of course, Paul the Apostle preached that, but he preached it from the Old Testament in Acts chapter 13, in the synagogue at Antioch, he quoted three Old Testament passages to support the fact that Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead. Now, next in the list is judgment. But here in Hebrews 6, too, it talks about eternal judgment. And this seems to be in the sense of Judging men for eternal life or for eternal damnation. Was that an Old Testament doctrine also? It was. The Jew knew that God someday would judge all men. They feared that great day of judgment just as people do today. The prophet Joel in chapter 3 talked about the judgment of the nations that would come. And the prophet Ezekiel wrote in chapter 20, As I live, declares the Lord God, is surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. And I shall bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I shall bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I shall enter into judgment with you face to face as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. Well, we have these six doctrines here in verses 1 and 2, which the Hebrew Christians apparently were very concerned about. And the writer to the Hebrews says, we want to leave these behind. We want to go on to maturity. Now, to understand what he is referring to here, I think we again need to talk about the context of the whole book of Hebrews. For example, we have seen how the Hebrews needed the teaching of the opening chapters, which exalted Christ over angels, over Moses, and over the priesthood under the law. Now, what does that tell you? It says that these Hebrews were giving great attention to angels, to the law, and to the Aaronic priesthood. That also meant that Jesus was perhaps only a supplement to what they had followed earlier. Their religion of Judaism, they believed, was just as important to them as Jesus. What's the explanation for this? False teachers. When they first heard the gospel, they believed. They believed that Jesus was the Son of God, the Savior. But Jewish teachers had come and were drawing them back to Judaism and exalting the rituals and the priesthood and the law of the Old Testament. So they were being carried back to that. But the writer seeks to change all this. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's the Son of God. Angels never got that designation. Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's greater than Moses, and he replaced Moses. God has spoken through his Son in these last days, and although the priests serve God according to the written law, Christ, the writer tells us, 
is of an eternal order and is greater, in that his work is superior, for his one sacrifice of himself resolved the sin problem forever and makes salvation available to everyone who trusts in Christ as his sacrifice. Who are these Hebrews? Are they Christians? Or are they false Christians, only professing to be, but not really Christians? Well, I think they were real believers. And one of the reasons why some people think that they were not believers is the translation of the word apostasy in the Revised Standard Version, which is misleading. Apostasy is a complete forsaking of one's religion or faith. These Hebrews did not do that. What did they do? They fell away, or they fell back to their former religion to help them as Christians. This is what the Galatians did also. The Galatians did not reject Christ. The Galatians wanted to add the Old Testament law to Christ. And by it, they were implying that Christ was not enough. That's an insult to Christ. The word translated apostasy in the Revised Standard Version in the Greek text is one which means falling away. And how did they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh? Probably by again respecting the animal sacrifices which the law called for, which Christ, by his sacrifice, ended. Now, to again offer an animal is tantamount to admitting that the cross work of Christ is not enough, and that more sacrifices are needed. Now, we need to be aware that sin, as such, is not involved here in this chapter. The writer is not here concerned with evil or immorality. And that's how so many Christians look at this passage. And uh, they try to interpret it as meaning that if you sin, you fall away and you can't come back. Well, the writer here is not concerned with that. When a person sins, he does not sacrifice Christ again. Nor do people hold him up to contempt when that happens. But if one showed respect for an animal sacrifice after believing in Christ, he definitely would hold up Christ to contempt. Now, many people get bent out of shape by this word repentance. And in verse 4 it says, For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away, since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold him up to contempt. What does repentance mean? This is the Greek word metanoia. It means an afterthought or a second thought. It means a change of mind. Now, we usually associate this word with salvation, but the Apostle John never did. He does not use the word one time in his gospel, which was written for what purpose? To bring men to salvation. Repentance is, however, implied in salvation if one has rejected Jesus as the Christ as the Jews did, having crucified him. When the Jews changed their mind about his identity and who Christ was, and they believed, they repented. The jailer wasn't told to repent in Philippi. 
because there is no indication that he earlier had rejected Christ. When he heard the gospel, he asked how to be saved, and they told him, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Now, why does the writer say it's impossible to restore them again to repentance, that is, to changing their mind? The reason is in verse 6. They are crucifying the Son of God on their own account and holding him up to contempt. How? By going back to Judaism and offering again sin offerings when Christ was their sin offering. So how do you get a person to repent while he practices that? You can't. Now notice the writer doesn't say, it is impossible to restore again to repentance you who have once been enlightened. He apparently is talking about some who were once enlightened and who are doing this. They are offering again sin offerings. That's an insult to Christ. And so it's impossible to get them to change their mind. But he tells us in verse 9, Though we speak thus, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. So the writer here apparently is of the belief that these Hebrews have believed, but he knows of some who have gone back to Judaism. We'll have more to say about this passage in our program tomorrow. I hope you'll tune in. No one can be saved without believing. But what does it mean to believe? Heaven's Password, our free booklet, will explain that to you. Till tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you to rejoice in the good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.